I'm Paul Nogalow's Executive Director of Crisoni on the Delta, which is a Memphis-based nonprofit created to identify, promote, and support actionable, collaborative, and investable solutions at the nexus of food and health. With me today are Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO of U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action, and Rob Trice, founding partner of Better Food Ventures in the Mixing Bowl. The subject of today's conversation is a call to action, transformative investment in climate smart ag. This is based on a very well done and extensive report with the same name issued earlier this month by US farmers and ranchers. I'm gonna hand it over to Aaron and Rob to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about what their organizations do. We'll then kick things off by discussing the genesis of this report and call to action which in turn prompted this conversation. Before I turn it over to Aaron, I just wanna remind everyone, the purpose of Crisonia Conversations is to foster lively, informative discussion. To, so please be sure to pose your questions through the Q&A button, and we'll get to as many of them as possible over the course of the next hour. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Aaron. Paul, oh, well, thanks for having us here today. It's always a pleasure to be on Crisonia on the Delta. That you do such a great job leading these conversations. And I know Rob and I are particularly excited to have a great dialogue with the panelists and participants. This is more than a Zoom. I know we can engage on chat. So if you don't know um, US Farmers and Ranchers in Action, we are um, an organization that's really geared to bring, make certain that our farmers are really at the table working with the food sector on co-creating the sustainable food systems of the future. You'll see our name uh, might be a little bit of a refresh for those who don't know us. Um, literally means that we want to create a call to action uh, for every leader to really work together, but pilot and innovate on ideas for the future. Um, over the last two years, we've worked on a common vision uh, for the food and ag sector. And, and really, you know, I, I think as we looked at last year, there's no doubt as we think about the next decade, we have 30 harvests to get it right, uh, 30 chances. The stakes are high for our farmers. This is no longer business as usual. And the only way we're gonna do that is by working collaboratively together. This next decade matters. And as part of that, that vision is really a call to all leaders to put their strengths to work, to focus on the outcome and those visions. So excited to talk to you about today about that broader North Star, but to get to that North Star, that's really the focus of our, our efforts today is to talk about that transformative investment that's gonna need, be needed to propel the sector. Great, Rob. And I'm Rob Trice, as Paul mentioned, I'm the founder of the Mixing Bowl and Better Food Ventures. And so the Mixing Bowl is uh, a forum for thought leadership to connect IT, food and ag innovators for thought leadership and for action. Uh, and then we also, under the name of Better Food Ventures, we make investments into companies that are applying information technology across the supply chain of food and agriculture to make a positive impact now. And um, Aaron, I'm gonna hand it back over to you for the genesis as our band leader, our ring leader on this report. But a, a, about the genesis of the report, I do wanna share one thing. When Aaron and I were first starting a, the conversation about this, I extracted a pinky promise from her that this would not be yet another report that would just go collect dust on the shelf, but really would be a springboard to action. And so that's why I'm excited for forums like this where we can actually start to talk about the action that is necessary to go fulfill the potential of climate smart agriculture. But so, Aaron, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got the band together? 
Yeah, so um, this really started in 2019 as we brought together about 100 C-suite leaders in a hot barn. And as we were working on the vision, one of the things we kind of came kept coming back to is like, do we really have the right level and scale of investment to propel us into the next decade? And just that simple question and framing was, you know, really that, uh, you know, looking at Rob, do we have the right venture? Are we having the right startups? We're not going to need unprecedented innovation in, in the next decade. Then do we have the right financial structures as we look at ESG investment? Uh, it's growing. Uh, is agriculture really taking advantage of them? And then finally, what we didn't even know is when you invest a dollar in agriculture, what is the ripple effect it has in our economy? We know that there's 15% of the American workforce that's tied to food and agriculture, but as an economic generator uh, and how much is this sector really uh, moving in terms of private-based markets? We know we've heard a lot about policy over time, but in 2019, we said, you know, we got to get going on market-based solutions here. And, you know, that those simple questions um, really led to the genesis of the report. We had no idea just, you know, how much money was even actually coming into ag through the private sector. So that was a big, big, big kickoff to, to the report. Go ahead, Rob, back to you. So yeah, well, I think just on, on that genesis, I'll, I'll fill it out there a little bit. So Aaron, as our ringleader, also got us together with a group called the Croatan Institute and another group called World Business Council for Sustainable Development and assembled an August uh, working group that kept us on the straight and narrow throughout this process. So um, I'll, I'll just, if I can, Paul, to talk a little bit about the report. Is that cool? Yeah, I was hoping that that you would kick it off because, you know, obviously not everyone on this call has, has been able to read the report or even the executive summary, but it does a very good job of mapping and defining the state of uh, soil health technology. And I don't want to go into a, a big, deep discussion, but, but could you just describe for, for the, uh, the viewers, what is climate smart agriculture? What constitutes climate smart agriculture? Yeah, and so I think, so there's a lot of discussion, climate smart versus, Aaron, keep me honest on this one, climate smart, regenerative. We kind of stuck and just hit the ball down the middle of the fairway. We looked at USDA approved practices that are climate smart practices of which there are over 20. And we focused in on six that are soil centric. And so each one of those uh, six practices improves soil health, sequesters carbon, reduces erosion, increases water infiltration, and can lead to economic environmental resiliency. And um, there are five principles to improving soil health. So one is minimizing soil disturbance, maximizing plant diversity, maximizing living root and soil cover, and integrating crop and livestock system. And so that was how we kind of settled in on six specific practices. And they are a no, no till and reduced till cropping, cover cropping, crop rotation, compost, managed grazing, and integrated crop and livestock systems. So those, those were the, uh, the practices that we looked at. And then we went and went and talked to farmers and ranchers, those who had not yet transformed to these climate smart practices, those who had, those were that were in the process. And you know, fundamentally what we did is we laid out, and I won't go into too much detail in the report, but for each one of these practices, there are specific challenges. And then there are also obviously kind of let's call it, say four buckets of challenges that we identified. Um, for farmers and ranchers embracing these practices. They're economic, clearly, 
personal motivation, their ex external concerns, uh, you know, like policy and programs, and then lastly, information and implementation. And so what we then did is looked at how we can apply information technology and finance innovation to go uh, help scale up these practices. And what I mean by that is when we kept talking to these farmers and ranchers, we kept hearing this phrase, which is, I, when I did this transformation, I, I took a leap of faith. And what we wanna do is see how information technology and better available financing can make that leap of faith a shorter hop. And so that fundamentally over time, farmers and ranchers can embrace these practices with all the knowledge they need to implement correctly and successfully and know that there will be an economic market reward for making that transition. Wow. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back a little bit and I'm going to go back bigger picture. So the, the report points out very early on that increased investment could enable US agriculture to become the first carbon negative sector in the US economy. So, but getting back to, you know, some of the stuff you were just talking about, you know, there have been a lot of climate smart technologies brought to market and yet adoption rates remain low. And I guess my first question would be, why, why do they remain low and what will change this? And then I wanna get into a conversation with Aaron. You know, we had, we had talked before and we had talked about, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of focus on, on carbon credits, but I get a sense that this is much bigger than that. So, so why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, the adoption rates, what it's gonna to take to change this. And Rob, you had, you had talked to me about something pretty interesting about the TVA and demonstration farms and the like. And so maybe, maybe we could hit on that. Yeah, so Aaron, I'll just, I'll hit the, the adoption and then I'll hand it over to you for the finance and the carbon credits, okay? So uh, just looking, so one of the things you'll find in this report is so we did a climate smart soil tech landscape. We identified 100, over 150 different companies that have solutions uh, that are helping farmers and ranchers to embrace these. And that can be everything from a soil sensor down to a carbon marketplace. So uh, we kind of laid all of that out. And Paul, you're, you are exactly correct. So 69% of farmers and ranchers are still stuck in pen and paper. And so we need to get this information digitized. One of the key barriers that we have in the implementation of these practices is while the science is solid, we don't yet have enough information so that a particular farmer or rancher may know exactly how to implement these practices uh, based on their, the, the practice they wanna implement and the locale. And so what I mean by that is the way that you might do rotational, manage rotational grazing in California and what you may see in terms of the expected upside in terms of sequestering carbon will be very different than what you'll get in the Carolinas, for instance, because you have more water, you have more grazing days. That's just one example. And so we need to get that information so that farmers and ranchers have the right implementation. So they know what kind of roller crimper to buy, what kind of specific color uh, cover crop they should be planting for their locale. And so that's what I think if we kind of look at that the economic reward, then you would have the farmers actually embrace this and understand 
you can't you can't measure manage what you don't measure. And so you've got to start digitizing, kind of get on that digital ag staircase to ultimately get to the point where you can report out this information. There are a lot of tools out there that are making it easier. I think that there is a, a, a number of different issues and we identify them in the report. One is siloed data, right? We have a friend out in the Central Valley of here in California who has 42 different data dashboards. We've got to make it easy for the farmer, improve the usability of these tools. They're not quite there yet. Uh, we talk about farm management systems, FMS, uh, as a way that farmers and ranchers can take data from the field and put that in one platform. And then, uh, and so that's one, farm management systems, and we also talk about MRV, management estimation reporting and verification platform. What the fundamental goal of these is, is we can take data collected from the field and then connect that to larger databases and downstream partners that can reward partners for making, uh, for embracing these practices. So net-net, uh, what we need to do is ease the burden of collecting data from the field and also ease the way that we collect, connect that data uh, to larger data sets and get a virtuous cycle going to inform not only farmers and ranchers on how to do this, but then how to implement these practices, but then also get that downstream participation from value chain partners. One thing I'll say and I'll shut up. The one fault that I think we too often make is that we think that farmers and ranchers, if we can just convince the farmer and rancher on their own to make this transition, it's game over and it's anything but. We need to recognize that each one of these farmers and ranchers works in a production ecosystem, a support ecosystem. And whether that is your, your local ag school, your agronomist, your extension agent, your off taker, your inputs provider, your equipment uh, provider, all these people, your, your banker and your insurer, all of these folks can be a help or a hindrance in terms of helping you make that decision to take this transition to those climate smart practices. And there are tools that we need to get information to all those different participants, not just the farmer and rancher. And I'll be quiet now. Aaron, you want to? Uh, we, we, oh, so Rob and I feel like sometimes we, we, we've had so many conversations on this. And so I think the most important point of what Rob is saying is like we, we've seen, like if you think about cover cropping as a technology, it's growing, right? But when we, what we're talking about here, when we step back and look at the report, is like, how do we really get to scale? And so as anyone's looking at this report, I want, you know, we just took six practices. We, we would never say that every farmer should do every single practice. We really want climate smart and outcome-based approach that's really being hyper-specific to each farmer for their even acreage. And now we're talking sub-acreage. To the point, we, what we're saying is that we need to have that decision-making ecosystem that is rapidly moving to support farmers. So the right technology, innovation, decision-making for business intelligence for their farm, and then the right financial structure. So the financial structure piece is really saying that, okay, so if I'm you know playing with this data and I'm saying I wanna make these business decisions on my farm and every farmer has got this whole list of things that they wanna do, what, how would I rank these things in terms of reducing risk on my farm long-term? And how am I going to finance that level of innovation? Um, you know, right now, many of these farmers are making those decisions on their own. They're taking their own risk of, of, of implementing these new uh, technologies. And that's a big hurdle rate, you know. And so what we're asking ourselves is, could we start coming up with more creative ways 
where we're helping partner with our farmers, de-risking uh, management decisions, making it in incentivized really for them to, to help make some of those decisions. And oftentimes the other big thing is many of our farmers are, are being paid, if you think about on an annual basis, where these climate smart decisions are really a 10 year financial horizon. So, you know, therein lies like a different business model that we know needs to be uh, reconciled. And so that's really why we started looking at, okay, given that there's this, maybe this new environmentally social governance type of investor, more patient capital, willing to like look at environment green and community investments, wouldn't the farmer be a likely partner or um, in, a recipient of some of those financial flows. Uh, and so that's why this report is really trying to look a little bit about the financial mechanisms that we could develop to, to kind of bolt alongside um, some of these kind of stumbling blocks that exist day to day on the farm. You guys, you guys always get way ahead of me and uh, I have a hard time keeping up, but um, we're gonna get to all of this over the course of the conversation, but just again, stepping back, I think I think we're going to kind of pivot between you know very farmer centric on the farm and then also taking a step back. Um, one of the things that I took away from the report was that you know Aaron, this seems to be encouraging a completely new view of agriculture. Maybe not from the inside looking out, but from the outside looking in, and you know. I think that agriculture is, is most often painted as the cause of the problems. And this to me, I felt like I came away from this saying, well, wait a minute. So you're telling me that ag could actually be a driver of the solution. And, you know, I thought it was compelling when you said, you know, US agriculture could become the first carbon negative sector in the US economy. And I just think as a, as a lay person, you know, who's not working daily on a farm, I don't think that's always the way people view it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really fun. I get really excited when I talk to college students because I always just hold up this plastic bottle and say, you know, this was made from black carbon, right? And then when you recycle it, it's virgin carbon. When you recycle it, my, my Zoom isn't doing a good job. But when you recycle it, that creates gray carbon. So we, we wanna keep recycling and um, we don't wanna emit new virgin carbon. But agriculture, let's come back to our sixth grade biology is coming from mother earth. It's coming from the sun and our plants and animals are cycling that carbon. That's green carbon, very different. And that carbon cycle is super cool. If we lean into that strength, of course we have emissions but our emissions have been reduced um, even over the last 20 years, dramatically for the amount of output that we have. And our lands, you can't, you can't uh, underestimate what those lands are already doing. So we're currently sequestering 100 times more carbon that's emitted in the air. That's like a savings bank for our kids and grandkids, right? So that soils are doing cool stuff. And it's going to continue to do cool stuff if we maintain our trajectory. This is uh, what we came out with in 2019. It is likely given current technology, if deployed, okay, this is all modeled, that we could have our carbon footprint. Now, the real question is, if you start looking at frontier technology, we could be minus 4% carbon. That would make the agriculture the first sector to be net negative or reducing its footprint and finally having a handprint, right, uh, on this conversation. As you, the reason why this is important 
is because as investors are looking at solutions, which sectors should you invest in for a decarbonization or net zero economy, ag has been left out of the table. And what we're trying to raise awareness is like, you want green solutions? Just take a look. This is where green happens. Brown and green stuff are the cool stuff. And you might've forgotten about it, but we are part and parcel to a net zero economy. Not only can we reduce our carbon footprint, but doing so creates a rural revitalization. And so, you know, the, the intent of all of our efforts is to kind of say, you might've forgotten our sector, we're cool. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. When you think about green, this is it. And so, so is a lot of this, you know, we had talked, we had talked in our prep call and I, I was probably misusing, you know, I was talking about marketing and you and Rob pointed out to me very quickly that, so is this really about education? Can I jump in on this one? Yeah. Hey, Cause Paul, you, you and I were talking before, uh, I'm a bit of a history buff and, uh, you know, I was recently uh, watching something about t the Tennessee Valley. And so when the TVA was established, one of the things that happened was the TVA established demonstration farms and through farmer to farmer information exchange or education, the practice of contour farming was adopted and embraced at scale in the Tennessee Valley. And that was all related to soil health. So farmers saw their soil running right down into the Tennessee River. So we have the ability, we also had the Dust Bowl and that caused you know, the creation of what is today in our CS. So we have seen, we've learned, we educate, we improve, we innovate, right? So the cool thing is we talk about a lot of the fancy technologies, but even today, if you look at like a Facebook group called Understanding Ag, there are farmer to farmer communications. I don't know how anybody farmed without YouTube. I, you, just in terms of even tractor maintenance. So like I look at these tools and this is blocking and tackling. We can level up though, get that data and that information exchange flowing way more. And so, so we're talking about education. We're talking about the, the farmers. We're talking about the farms, but also the report points out, and this, this was startling to me, um, you know, nearly $1 trillion of private capital already flows through the US agricultural system. But the report also points out, you know, that scaled adoption of climate smart practices will take not only the realignment of existing flows of capital to climate smart outcomes, but also the ability to draw in new sources of capital. And so when I first read that, I'm like, wow, this is, this is, sounds like a very tall order. Um, so you're not only educating farmers, but you also have to educate investors and you have to educate the, the financial markets in terms of how they view agriculture. And I'm, I'm doing this as a lead in, we will get to ESG and we'll talk about the opportunity there. But I just thought, you know, I, I how can more agricultural capital be steered toward climate smart soil outcomes? Aaron, I'll do a very quick connection back to exactly what Paul said, which is, I made that comment before about we too often think it's just the farmer or rancher, but the reality is there is a banker who's giving that farmer an operating loan. There is an insurer and the actuary tables upon which they are making lending or insuring decisions. 
is an accounting for updated science related to climate smart agriculture, and particularly in the face of, of climate resiliency, not looking at the de-risking that occurs by embracing these practices so that you get better water retention, better soil health, what that's going to mean in turn, and obviously there's a question of carbon. So the benefits of these practices isn't just about sequestering carbon. And I think we, we hopefully will circle back to the carbon markets versus the other ecosystem benefits. But I think we need to use this education and this data, not only just to inform farmers and ranchers, but everybody in that ecosystem, including downstream value chain partners who are buying these products. And then Aaron, why don't, I, why don't you talk a little bit more about that, that trillion dollars? Yeah, so I, I, first of all, it's amazing as Bob's talking about the, how this report started is we just didn't even know, you know how much money was moving in the private sector space. And we had to really understand first, like who, where's the money coming from? Which types of investors? And then ultimately, how does those financial flows ultimately get back to the farm? So there's a really great chart it looks like an octopus um, that kind of um, highlights um, exactly where the financial flows are going. And that was an important part to understand so that we knew we know how to grow, so-called grow the size of the prize on behalf of our farmers. The other key aspects um, to, to bear in mind, as Rob was talking about, there it's not just our farmers. We know we need to have our farmers be successful. Absolutely. Our farmers and ranchers need new forms of capital. But we also need to make certain that this is a sector where we see innovation and growth flat out. So if you al likened it to the healthcare sector, we'd be saying, we need doctors. Those are our farmers, right? But you'd also say, we need all these other tech support systems to really enable our doctors to be successful. We know that we need more investment in, in agriculture flat out uh, to really meet the next decade uh, of agriculture. And so that's really what this report is intended to look at. How do we create a better financial ecosystem for the next decade to support agriculture as a whole? And just to jump in there, just a little bit of level setting. So we identified $972 billion in, in um, agriculture capital in the US per annum. Of that, only 20 billion is from the government. And so there is a huge monster amount of capital currently out there. And if we could just redirect 2% of that and tie that to climate smart agriculture outcomes and indicators of progress, we would do more than US government does currently. Uh, and so this gets to that, that private market and the education and the importance of that education. So there's really my, I, I was blown away. Our, our collaborators at Croatan Institute with this spaghetti or octopus chart, it's really worth looking at. Uh, and also even looking at the amount of venture capital and private equity, it's strikingly low. If we really can go at those, those uh, big buckets of money and have them update their lending practices, their investment practices, understanding the realities, the science is real, we can move the needle on this, I'm quite sure. So we identify seven different asset classes, 25 different mechanisms through which uh, money can flow to farmers and ranchers in this study. Can, can I just build on Paul? Because I think sure. I want to make sure everybody understands like what Rob just said, because it's really an important point. 
you know, when he said that we could just grow by 2%, the, the financial markets um, flow of capital, and that would already eclipse what the government is paying. So when we think about actionable solutions, you know, every time we're in a, um, we're in a room, um, there's a, agriculture has long been talking about, oh, we need USDA or we need policy. I think what we're trying to say is that you're going to need stackable solutions and you've got to engage in market-based mechanisms and the financial market, if we can grow that, um, is, is, is likely a faster way, perhaps faster way, or at least it could, we could start moving on it now because um, we're currently not talking to that audience um, and that might be part of the solution. And so, so getting back to this and, and big picture, and I think most of our, I think most of the people on this call, you know, understand what ESG is, basically environmental, social, and governance. So if I'm reading the report right, and if I'm reading you right, agriculture's never really been positioned or promoted as an ESG investment. And, but when you think about it, it's so intrinsically, it is an ESG investment. So again, is this, in other words, I don't think you're cooking up something new and you say all these new different things have to happen. Farmers are embracing this. It's just, is it that the financial markets up to this point really haven't looked at this as a viable ESG investment? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is I'm asking every ESG investor two things. Like, do you have agriculture in your portfolio? If not, why not? <laughs> And are you actively helping agriculture meet, or meet its goals? Because if you help agriculture, then you are enabling a net zero economy. And isn't that your overall intent? And so, you know, I feel, I feel like in the ag sector, we've got a lot of amazing farmers. Maybe they're not the cool Richard Branson or Elon Musk types. And we need to like make it more attractive to the financial community to kind of say, hey, there's some cool people doing some cool stuff. And that is clearly climate oriented, clearly generating a net zero economy in rural America, and clearly has a social, um, social aspect as well for many of their portfolios that they're looking at. I also think that their investors who do care about the environmental social governance outcomes actually do care about farmers. So I think if we had to imagine, you know, kind of um, a farmer's perfect partner it is this you know, we're seeing teachers, pensions funds, and all these types of other um, investors that are really asking it. I, I really think that, that they would look towards the farmers as being that uh, perfect ESG um, type of investment. So just to, to, to build on what Aaron's saying. So we've got this existing ag flow money of $972 billion. And then the amazing thing is, uh, it's not in the report per se, but we've now learned that one out of three institutionally managed dollars is ESG related, which is an astounding amount of money. And so, and there was another report uh, recently by a group called USIF that identified natural resources, including agriculture as a top four area of interest for ESG investors. But so how can we go get these two things connected? That's what we're trying to do in this report is A, take that ex it's identify how we take that existing ag capital flow and get that tied to climate smart agriculture and then invite more of those big ESG dollars to recognize the opportunities specifically. The last thing I'll say is, oh, I, Aaron, 
uh, I believe it was in Q3, there were $10 billion in green bonds issued. Not a single one mentioned agriculture as an opportunity, right? And the last thing I'll say is in the report, we identify case studies of where all of these different financial me mechanisms have already been applied in agriculture. We're just ready for the scale up. So they're here, they're proven. We just need to kind of bring more of those investors to this dance party. So, so we just had a question come in and I, I hope this encourages others to uh, ask questions, but um, Todd is asking where we can find the report. Um, the report, the report is downloadable at your website, right, Aaron, at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action. Um, yes. We're also, for everyone who participated on the call today, we will be sending out a thank you with a link to both the report and the executive summary. So everybody, I encourage everyone, you know, there's no cost. There's, you can go, you can download it and, and you should read it. And, um, and with that, you know, I'll ask people to bring in, bring in, hopefully people will ask other questions. But one of the things I want to pivot back to, you know, we've talked about the financial markets, we've talked about inflows. I want to pivot back to the farmers. And I actually do think this plays in both ways. I think this plays both, both on the farm, but also, also on Wall Street. Can climate smart practices be promoted as cost effective? And do they have to be ultimately, do they have to be promoted as cost effective for this to really take universal hold? You want to take it, Aaron? You want me to? Yeah, I mean, I think the question is cost effective would improve efficiencies on the farm. And then there's also an aspect of like having new access to new markets. So I think it's, it can be a combination of both. Um, and then cost effective is if you include in that definition uh, reduced risk over time, that can also be factored in. I think that that's often um, not factored in. And um, so particularly when we're talking about soil health, we're talking, we're improving the resiliency long-term um, of crop yield, et cetera. So that's hard to monetize in, um, you know, it's almost like an infrastructure upgrade and it takes a long time. So it's hard sometimes to make that, that level of investment. Having said that, almost many farmers are doing that daily and they're not even being rewarded for that. So it's like figuring out how to be able to demonstrate that you're making an investment towards really what's an intangible good long-term and being recognized for that. We, we would call that, um, that the farmer's investing what is an ecosystem service to our communities. Um, so while the farmer sees a direct cost efficiency, there's also an investment that happens to our community. So what do I mean by that? You know, if, if you're in upstate New York, um, you are managing those farms and you're also providing an intangible good to the city of New York. So there's an opportunity in coming up with like very much creative ways that you see in urban rural intersect that the city of New York could be investing directly in our farms in upstate New York for that intangible good. Um, there's a lot of conversations about carbon trades, water trades and all that. We're, in this case, in this report, we're talking about actual legitimate hard capital costs um, that could be directly made to our farmers. And after to build on that, I think, you know, too often, and this is one of the challenges is, uh, of, I think, these climate smart practices is, 
we paint them with a broad brush. And the reality is you need to look at the specific, the specifics of a farm or a ranch. And this is why we identify those barriers. And every one of those, the practices has its own level of risk and reward, cost and benefit. Uh, just an example, compost uh, is, is pretty expensive. I would almost say cost prohibitively expensive right now. Uh, if you look at um, going to something like no-till, uh, uh, no-till, minimal till, there's going to be new equipment involved. And so the other thing about these practices is they may take, they will probably take a couple seasons for you to really see the benefit. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here is how can we finance that bridge to, uh, to make that step onto that bridge into these regenerative pra or, or uh, climate smart practices, um, a shorter hop, right? And, and meet farmers and ranchers where they are on the specifics. So for instance, uh, you know, if we can buy down the cost of operating capital because a farmer or rancher is uh, implementing these practices or help them, you know, get, you know, buy down the cost of a roller crimper or a no-till drill, right? These are the kind of things that, or, or, or cover crops. Like there are all sorts of ways that we can support the farmers and the ranchers to help them embrace and see this transition through. Do you see, um, and I'll, I'll throw this out to both of you. You know, you said that the report, I think focused in on six of 20 climate smart ag practices. Do you see any one or two of those those six that you've identified, are you guys like, well, this is the one that's gonna help us break through, or this is the one that we should be most focused on? And I, I don't know if that's no-till or, or, you know, or rotation or whatever. And they, you may tell me, no, they all go hand in hand, but for the farmer out there, is there one where you say, you know what, this is the one that's gonna change things, that's gonna start to change things. And so, that if the farmer sees success with this, they'll be much more open to embracing the other five and eventually the other 20. Is that a, is that a good way to look at it or is that not a good way to look at well, it? Well, so this is Aaron. So I, and, and so what I think about Climate Smart, we, we just picked six practices because we had to create a scope. <laughs> There's so many practices right. that our farmers do on each farm and it's down to the acres and sub acreage specificity. And I'll just say in this report, we didn't include animal livestock because we just couldn't take on that scope as well. And that's my background. So I could talk about manure all day. So, um, you know, we, there's, what I'm saying is that there's just not, there's no one silver bullet. So when we think about climate smart outcomes, it's specifically working with that farmer on the outcomes. Now there's a series of different practices they, they, can, we, they can do. We're highlighting these six because we know that they're, they've been growing. Our farmers are really doing it. If you thought about them as a technology, it's a fast growing technology cover crops. Our farmers are interested in it. It doesn't work though for every farm. So it's what we're afraid of. We don't want to happen is up the supply chain. You know, someone says, are you doing a cover crop farming system? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's just one of a, a many, many tools that our farmers can use. So it'd be like asking a chef, right? Like, um, you know, what's your recipe? You know, every chef has a different recipe to make a steak or a bolognese sauce. You know, so let the, let the farmer get to the outcome, but we just were highlighting that there's a series of practices that 
should be recognized and potentially funded. And but Climate Smart is about funding all of them, but focusing on the outcome. And, and Paul, you, I mean, it, it's a good question. The other thing that we don't have enough science on right now is what is the benefit of implementing uh, the, the compounded benefit of imp implementing numerous these practices, these field practices simultaneously. So uh, we just don't know enough, but you're right. Most of these farmers and ranchers will start off with one particular practice and then layer on more. Um, but, you know, I also just think we need to give a tip of the hat to a lot of the farmers and ranchers out there that are already doing this. I, I don't remember the specific percentage of, of acreage that is already in no-till or reduced till. It, it's ast astounding how broadly this has already taken effect. And I don't think that there is general recognition uh, of that, the embrace of some of these practices. And so, so that leads me to, to my, my next question. And again, this is going back to the farm. And it seems like you put out there that, that these, are, these are practices that can be embraced. It doesn't matter the number of acres you're talking about, but for this to really, do you need a large scale farmer to step forward? And I'm talking about thousands of acres, you know, and, and Aaron had thrown out, you know, Elon Musk or, you know, thinking about something like that, like the, the Elon Musk of agriculture, do you need, do you need a champion who says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm farming thousands of acres and this stuff does make sense and it does work and, and you should do this. I, I'm just thinking from the financial markets, you know, are they saying, ah, you know what? This, this, this may work for a blueberry farmer up in Maine, but you know, you're not really talking to me about the heartland or you're not talking to me about thousand acre operations. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, do, do you, does that come into any of your thinking? Um, do, does this need to be embraced by, by the largest farmers for it to really, really resonate and take hold? You know, I think on all of us, we're saying, you know, we say every farmer, every acre, we're seeing all different types of farmers innovating in this space. It's not indicative to size uh, or, I mean, obviously it is geography, but we don't see it indicative of size. Um, there's so many cool farmers doing great stuff here. Um, I, I wouldn't say that you could characterize that at, at all. But, but, but Paul, let me, let me, that. I, I got need that, Aaron. In other words, do you need that to, to accomplish the goals you want to accomplish with the financial markets and the support and the like? Do you need, in other words, and I, I don't know if I'm even characterizing it correctly, but do you need a high profile champion who's saying, hey, I'm doing this on my farms and it's working. You, you've got to do it too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is we want to put the farmer front and center in the financial conversations. Like some of the, our, our farmers that are doing this, they're they're businessmen. They are amazing entrepreneurs. And perhaps that's what we need to talk to Wall Street about so they can understand the actual pen and pencil of the finances of how this stuff works. Um, and, and I think a way to think about it is that these are small, these are small businesses and some, if not larger, they're, they're LLCs that they're investing in it's business to business. That's what we're talking about in terms of financing. So just, Paul, just three things, three things. There are three pressures that are coming, right? So one is we mentioned the ESG dollars under institutional management. So now if you're taking institutional money 
and you're a corporate farmer per se, you're going to be accountable. Those folks are going to have to know what their own GHG footprint is. And so they're going to ask you for what your footprint is and what are you doing to reduce it? That's one from the investment side. Two, you're seeing transitional um, ownership changes in farmers and ranches. And guess what? The, next, the upcoming generation cares a lot about these ESG uh, indicators. For some reason, young people care about maintaining the health of the planet. And then uh, the third thing is the customers, right? The CPGs, they're all being asked to account for their footprint and be able to tell either uh, Wall Street investors or their end customers, what's the footprint of this macaroni and cheese? So all of these are coming towards the farmer and rancher. And then I also, um, to your point, uh, I saw in the chat, uh, we have a 70,000 acre Saskatchewan farmer uh, who's already embracing no-till and he's a, laid out the point that, you know, the, the, the money folks didn't care till a year or two. And, and well, and do they... I'll say this, in, I'll say this in a personal capacity uh, because I know this report does not look at policy, but one of the interesting things is to look uh, comp country by country and see who is embracing these practices and why, and where you seeing more experimentation uh, and how could we how could we leverage lessons learned there for our own U.S. policy discussion? Great, we've got another question. Um, the question is, what are innovators on the input financing side already doing to support climate smart practices? Uh, so, full disclosure, we're an investor in a company called FarmOp Capital under our Better Food Ventures name, uh, and. Uh, we are, uh, I hope I'm not gonna get in trouble for saying this, but we're looking at how we can tie our op. We're specifically looking at, um, at Better Food, uh, at, at Farm Op Capital of making loans to non-owner operator asset light farmers that by the way, are 50% of US cropland uh, and 25% of pasture is also leased or rented. So we have that land tenure issue, but even for asset light farmers, we're looking at how we can tie lending to climate smart progress and outcomes. So that's part of the innovation. I know uh, Farmers Business Network uh, is starting to do some lending. I think this is a space that um, there's room for innovation. So we're, we're, starting to, we're starting to get towards- Aaron, did you wanna jump in? Well, yeah, I just wanna say, I think it's more, I just wanna make certain um, based on that question on input. So I, the question is, is it lending or other forms of financial investment? So I think lending, you know, we do see a lot of lending happening, figuring out how to restructure or have new types of creative financing based on that lend, or it's a direct investment. So in the case of, we think probably likely it's bonding, uh, both climate bonds or green bonds, um, where that's basically an investment, right, in, in an asset infrastructure build um, in the, on that farm um, for, the, for the outcomes that they want to see on that farm. So it's really thought of as a community investment in that with a lower return seeking, um, you know, we're talking one to treasury, one to 4% uh, in that space. Another um, thing that we, that's identified in the report, um, and this is all again, just the working finance uh, working group and uh, farms, this is all, if you look in the finance mechanisms of the report, there's about seven different types of financial mechanisms 
and about 20 different, um, sorry, seven different asset classes and about 20 different financial mechanisms that live within those asset classes. So bonding would be one, obviously debts, which we talked about different forms of structuring debts, um, both lending, loan guarantees um, could, would be another one. Um, obviously there's also, as we think about institutional holdings um, for as we, whether that's actually on the farm, but that's also supporting potentially the technology providers. So if you think of you know, company A, company B, company C, could they um, have uh, investment, both private equity, venture, or institutional holdings um, for that type of investment? And then the other kind of ideas would be like, uh, if you think about um, in an urban environment, um, you know, you have brownfields, right? We have brownfields in urban environments all the time where they say, hey, that's, let's go fix that brownfield. Let's, let's invest in it. And so they create an incentive to, to restructure that brownfield as an opportunity zone. Um, there's no reason to think that in some of in rural America that we couldn't think of um, our farm infrastructure needs as an opportunity zone. Um, so really thinking about climate change. Um, so lots of creative ideas um, uh, in terms of new financial input uh, structures, just to answer that. And um, if you guys want to get involved or, or take a look at those, I would encourage you to just take, it's, it's kind of out of the box. It's new news. Um, this is something we've never done before. Um, so I would just encourage, like, that's really what it is. It's like really looking at more market-based mechanisms. And, and Paul, just one other thing to your po earlier point that this isn't just some hippy dippy blueberry farmer in Maine. Bayer has started to compensate. Uh, they just launched a program last year compensating farmers and ranchers, corn and soy farmers, uh, both in uh, nor uh, the US, North America, as well as uh, Brazil uh, for carbon implementing carbon smart, climate smart, soil centric practices like this. Terrific. Um, so one of the, I, I think as we wind down here, um, what, are, what are the next steps? You guys have spent over 12 months on this, this wonderful, and, and I, I keep calling it a call to action, more, you know, report does sound like it's just sitting up on somebody's shelf and, you know, um, or using it as a, as a doorstop. And this certainly isn't that. So if it is a call to action, um, why don't you just lay out for us kind of what the, what the next steps are? Like what, what happens next? Rob, do you wanna go and then I think close on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if we think about it, I'm trying to bring up the specific slide that we had on this, but um, uh, because we had some very specific takeaways uh, or, or actions. One, I'm just going to hit six really quickly. One is educate those deploying capital on the proven practices and outcomes of climate smart agriculture. Two, raise awareness of new financial innovations amongst those in agri-finance. Three, align the producer's ecosystem and value chain partners to finance the transition. Four, leverage information technology to identify and follow opportunities to financially support farmers and ranchers. Five, blend capital to scale collective impact on targeted opportunities. And six, test new financial mechanisms that activate financial and agricultural value chains, which kind of seemed pretty aligned with this discussion. Yeah, so that's the report call to action. And I think, you know, as we're saying, this is in many cases, Rob, we'll come back to that pinky swear here, um, that this is a movement. 
Um, so U.S. farmers and ranchers in the, in the decade of ag is all about creating a shared North Star for this sector, really to, to, to articulate with leadership what this sector stands for, both for community and the planet, and to talk about the shared outcomes. So uh, Paul, very similar to say, you know, we might know it. We always said like, hey, can you just, we just want to tell our story. You know, it's important that we recognize that this sector is where environmental solutions exist and can exist for the future. We need to own that. Um, we're likely the, the only sector and the only sector, the only proven machine that can suck carbon out of the air exists with our, with our farmers and our lands. So that's a big deal. And we need to lean into our strengths. And in doing so, we need to have partnership with the financial community to enable that transition, to allow us to invest in our future. And I'll, I'll just say this, as Rob was taking us back from a historical lesson, this is truly agriculture's legacy. When America invested in agriculture, you know, after the Civil War, during the Dust Bowl, and after World War II, our nation really, it allowed us to have economic and GDP growth. So this, there's no doubt, we, know, we have a, some business cases here, we have financial, we have a clear carbon and community outcome, but there's a greater good. This sector can truly fulfill at, you know, the nation's potential to be a net zero economy. We just might've forgotten about our sector for a while. We're cool. Well, and with that, we are gonna close and you are cool, both of you. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, this was a terrific conversation. I wanna thank iSelect for making Crisonia conversations possible. iSelect is a St. Louis-based venture capital firm providing unparalleled access to entrepreneurial opportunities focused at the nexus of food and health. I'd like to encourage everyone to visit us at chrisonia.org. And uh, there you can join our lively Slack channel. You can view all of our past Chrisonia conversations, as well as the Food is Health digital forum that we broadcasted from Memphis last November. And we hope you'll join us again next month for our next Chrisonia conversation.